Thank you for dropping your anchor with HarborCast as our Harbor family continues to glorify and enjoy God together. You asked the questions, and now we look forward to getting to know Him better through Scripture and Christ-centered interpretation. Well, welcome back to another episode of HarborCast, the official podcast of Harbor Church here in Mooresville, North Carolina. And uh, I am back with a very special guest. Um, you are again wife. Yeah, that's right. Um, this is Lindsay Colvard. Um, and uh, last week we talked a little bit about just Genesis 1 and creation and <clears throat> how to how to read Genesis 1 properly. And so we're going to delve maybe too briefly, but briefly into some of the, some of the science, right? Um, now, a lot of times when people approach this topic of how does science and the Bible mesh together, particularly in creation. A lot of times people will jump straight to radiocarbon dating or speed of light or, or all sorts of stuff. Um, where, where do you think we should start, Lindsay? Well, I think that it is important to start with um, some of what we talked about last time, the idea that um, the Bible is our authority Mm-hmm. Scripture is our authority, and that's because that is what God has cho- chosen to reveal about himself. Mm-hmm. And so he has the authority to speak about his world, and uh, that is our primary source of truth. Right. And we have truth that we see in creation. We talk about all truth is God's truth, but... What God has revealed in his word is that specific revelation takes priority over anything that we see in general revelation. And certainly we want to use science and what we see in the world around us to check our understanding of scripture because scripture is never wrong, but our understanding of it can be wrong. So. Um, you know, that's not to say that we should be uncorrectable, that we shouldn't be taught by what we see in science, but ultimately we need to start with where, with what the Lord reveals to us in scripture. Um, so that's one place to start. Right. Um, I think another thing is that um, if we're talking about science, I think that um, something that we need to remember is that scientists are people just like the rest of us. And we all come to what we do with assumptions, with presuppositions, with our own worldview. And people who are doing science well are doing their best to keep that out of the work that they're doing. But honestly, all of us bring it into what we do. And some of the biggest Assumption, some of the kind of biggest picture worldview things that we bring into what we do really can't be pulled out from some of the science when we're talking about the age of the earth, how it came into being, those sorts of things. So we can delve more into that as we discuss. But Right. Just to add on to that, because I think it's a really good point, Uh, Nobel winning chemist Michael Polanyi wrote a book um, several years back. So he's done science at the highest level. And he would say exactly the same thing. He would say, there's a reason why, for example, scientists choose to study um, cancer in order to fight cancers as opposed to studying, you know, slug mucus, right? Like there's, 
there are human elements, even to the things that we study, to the things that we pursue, um, there are uh, oftentimes even biases that mm -hmm. result out of that. Um, and in fact, um, I read a book recently, I'm trying to remember what the, what the uh, author or title was, but talked about so many studies, particularly recent studies, um, are just have just shown really bad science. Mm -hmm. A lot of uh, most most medical journals, um, uh, many of the articles that are even published, oftentimes are retracted within a few years, or they're not even reproducible. So some of I think what we're hoping to get at today, as well as some of what we said last time, was just we need to be if we're going to be Christians and do science, we need to do good science. Mm -hmm. We need to pursue good science um, and good methodology. Mm -hmm. Can I go ahead and talk about, I think one of those big assumptions Absolutely. that comes into play. Yeah. So for those of you who are part of Harbor, who were here last year, when we walked through Sunday school, we talked about Paul Miller's book on prayer, which mm -hmm. I would highly commend to anyone who hasn't yep. read it. Lindsay's kind of a fan, yeah. I am a little <laughs> bit of a fan. Um, but one of the things that he talks about is the way that um, much of our modern worldview really separates out things that historically have not necessarily been separated. So we put things in the realm of truth that are fact, science, yeah. and- Empirical, they're measurable. Right, things that are measurable. Right. Um, and then we put something like faith over here in a totally separate category. And we want to think that those things don't or shouldn't ever interact. Right. And that is an assumption right. at its foundation. And I think that that's an assumption that very much comes into play in the world of science, particularly because we are talking here about origins. We're talking about things that we cannot we did not observe them while they happened, right. and we cannot reproduce right. the mechanisms by which they happen. And not all science, but much of what we talk about when we talk about science and the scientific method, we are talking about something that is reproducible. You're going to do an experiment, and someone else should be able to do the same experiment and reproduce the same results. Right. Now there is other science that we do that does not fall into that category, but because we're in a realm of talking about the history of the earth where we cannot observe it or reproduce it, our assumptions about what went on there come into play a lot more. Right. And I think one of the foundational assumptions of modern natural science that impacts this is the assumption that everything that we see needs to be explained by purely physical causes, that there, the assumption that there cannot be anything supernatural, any right. outside power at play in what happened with the earth coming to be in the state that it is now. Right, or and, development of creatures or right. all sorts of right. things. Any right. of those things. And if it is true that there is no God and that everything that exists came to be naturally, purely by um, physical processes with no outside intervention, then that's a fine assumption. But that's certainly not the assumption we would make. That's not what scripture would right. claim. That's not the perspective that we are coming from. And if it is true that there is a holy, powerful God who created the world, then 
approaching looking at the history of the world with an assumption that there is no creator is going to impact your data. Right. It, it's it, going to impact how you look right. at all of the things that you see. Right. Because anything that could have a supernatural explanation has to be explained some other way. Right. It would be like finding a watch in the woods and somebody asks you, tell me how you thought this got here. But you can't reference, there is no watchmaker. There's never been a watchmaker. Well, then then you're you, are, you are taking primary data away from a possible explanation and you're limiting it to an unreasonable data set. Right. And when you do that, you're automatically going to have bad data and, and do bad science. Right, yeah, the, um, that analogy that you used is a common one, that right. idea of the missing watchmaker. Right. That's probably something some of you have heard right. before. Right. Um, so maybe we can get a little bit into the into the details. Um, mm -hmm. You know, most modern natural science would would state that the year the universe is billions of years old. Mm -hmm. The Earth is billions of years old. Mm -hmm. Even life itself is billions of years old. Right. So how does that square with something like Genesis one that claims it seems like from we said last time normal regular days. Right. However, that works. Well, out. so again, just kind of to reference what we talked about last time. Um, it is true that there are people who up, uphold the Bible, have a high view right. of the Bible, who would land on an interpretation of Genesis 1 that does not conflict right. with the idea of a billions of an earth that's billions of years old. Right. So um, just to make sure you all have heard us say that right. again. Right. We're, um, we're not saying that this is the only Christian uh, interpretation. Or on, the only faithful right. evangelical right. But um, we think it's right. interpretation <laughs> of the scripture. Right. Well, we do. And yet you and I have talked about this a lot. There is so much that we don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. I feel like that's something that I've really had to work through in trying to understand this and trying right. to understand Genesis 1 and how it fits with the science is that the reality is that there are things that I am not going to understand right. and pieces that might not look to me like they fit together. And I think that just like our, our belief in the Lord is based in faith. Mm -hmm. Our belief in scripture is based in faith. Um, I think that there are pieces of faith in choosing to believe scripture, even sometimes in the face of the evidence of science. And right. you and I are going to get into this. There are specifics. I think that there is some good science that would support a younger earth. And that means that the science out there does not all conflict with reading Genesis 1 in a straightforward way that would account for, you know, a creation of six literal days mm -hmm. um, and a young earth. But also... If we're going to err in one place or the other, you know, I feel like you and I would probably both say we're going to stand on what seems to be clear from Scripture. And if there let there be some unknown on the side of the science, if there's going to be unknown one way or the other. Right. Right. So to tell me a little bit about some of the things that you've read or you've studied related to, for example, like the age of the earth. Yeah, absolutely. So um, something that I have appreciated is that I do think that there are some people out there who are doing good science. Um, I think something that is a danger that I um, have kind of had to 
catch myself about sometimes throughout his, throughout the past um, is that you can read scripture, read Genesis one, say, well, okay, I believe in a literal six day creation and a young earth. And therefore the science has to back it up mm -hmm. and to hang your hat on the science um, and to really let that be what makes your faith stand or fall. Um, so I think that just that's a caution um, for anybody who is kind of delving into some of these things. But there are people who are doing good scientific work. Um, I really appreciate the Institute for Creation Research. Um, they put out a newsletter that we have really appreciated. But um, one of the things that I think is a big factor to consider is to remember that scripture would attest to and we would believe in a worldwide flood. And if you're looking at geology, if you're looking at kind of all of the pieces that come into looking at the history of the earth, that's going to make a huge difference. The assumption of, well, there was never a worldwide flood or yes, there was a worldwide flood and what that does right. to looking at history. Which is kind of interesting because a, I mean, I know it's a little far farther afield from like Genesis 1, mm -hmm. but it does, it does relate. And what's interesting is now we're in the realm of not prehistory, but history, because we have um, unconnected cultures who have flood accounts. Mm -hmm. In fact, the Cherokee, who are separated by the Atlantic Ocean, mm -hmm. have a flood account. So it's really fascinating that not only do we perhaps have um, examples, geologically speaking, mm -hmm. but also we even have history written down. Yeah. And in fact, it's kind of interesting, one of my... Um, one of my sort of heroes growing up was Leonardo da Vinci. And one mm -hmm. of the things that uh, he set out to prove uh, was that at looking at uh, layers on top of the mountains and seeing that as evidence for mm -hmm. the flood. Um, cool. So it's kind of neat that they were thinking about this even, even, even back in the, you yeah. know, even back then. So, yep. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the big things that if we're talking about age of the earth is the idea of um, radiometric dating right and um you know i feel like in some ways that is one that is that's something that is tricky um there are assumptions that come into play there because you're assuming a certain ratio of starting material and that's an assumption you know there are certainly plenty of examples of things that we know to be younger, newer items or rocks that have been dated to be much, much older right. than we know them to be. Right. I know live crabs that just died have been radiocarbon dated to be like 900 years old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Things like that. Um, so I don't know. You talk to me a little bit about, I know you've done maybe yeah. even more reading uh, about this than I, I know, have. I know, especially one of the big, one of the big issues um, is that a lot of the carbon dating and a lot of just modern natural science, when it approaches, it, it kind of dismisses a younger, I should say, because mm -hmm. I don't, I don't put a particular amount of time on it, right. but a younger earth, mm -hmm. um, is that, uh, it assumes a kind of, uh, uniform space-time continuum. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's like a line, you know, like a timeline that you would write when you were in fifth grade, right? right. A to B to C and it's like normal, regular increments. Um, and that assumes, for example, uh, the speed of light is constant. Um, other things are, remain constant. Um, but that precludes like Einstein and what he brought to the table in terms of understanding the space-time continuum as something that is space and time can be 
slowed, sped up. It can be bent. In fact, I mean, I know this is in the realm of uh, sort of science fiction, but the idea of a warp drive where you would take, you know, I know, here's our nerdiness showing up. But, you know, you could actually take space and actually fold it within itself so that something can go at a great distance with by going a short amount of distance. Um, I mean, these sorts of things, we can even actually run a repeatable experiment in which you have a two stopwatches, one on Earth and one on somebody on a uh, hypersonic jet. Mm -hmm. And we can actually show that time slows down as that jet speeds up, and that's only a fraction. And so it's kind of mind-bending to think that sometimes the assumptions that people have when they approach this, this issue of, oh, well, it has to be billions of years. What if it appears to be billions of years, but in our understanding of things, it's within a relatively short amount of time? In other mm -hmm. words, I firmly believe for, for myself that probably billions of years of activity ha are happening in a normal, a normal day in Genesis 1. Mm. Um, so I think that there's, there's just a lot more questions than we have answers to. And I think if nothing else, I hope that the people who are listening to this at least, at least hear that much, is that um, while there's, there's a lot of popularity about thinking some of these things are absolutely settled, mm -hmm. there's some big questions still. Well, and that was something I was thinking about as we were talking this through, just that I think we do kind of make assumptions that, well, science has all the answers all put together. Anything that you see written in a textbook or as a, you know, a theory that is publicized, right. well, clearly all of the holes have been filled in and everybody agrees that this is what's going on. Right. And I think something that I would encourage everybody towards is just an understanding of the fact that no matter where you would land on the, on what you are hoping that the science would say, or no matter where you land on your understanding of the scripture and what that might mean in terms of its implication for science, that there are holes in the theories. There right. are things that are not explained. Right. So um, if you're looking at what are some of the holes in an old earth and Darwin's evolution. Yeah, I was, um, was going to want to bring that up too, because yeah, our evolution is a great example of that, where the original concept of evolution from Darwin, he thought it was slow progression. If you were to graph a creature, it would have looked like a, a line going upwards. And so you should, theoretically, in fossil records, you should be able to see a slow change right. in the creature. It's not what we see at all. It's punctuated. Um, in fact, that's, that's what most people would believe today is punctuated evolution, meaning that a species go flatline and all of a sudden a new species <laughs> emerges. And actually Darwin said if it's, not a, it's, if it's not a slow progression, that he, he said his whole theory falls apart. Right. Well, and there have been some attempts. You've probably heard about some of the um, kind of findings of missing links between species. And really those are pretty thoroughly absent. Um, there really are not those in between species. And, you know, something that is another piece of that is that if we're talking about changes within a species, if we're not talking about small adaptations, if we're right. talking about actual changes in function or, um, Right. So we're not talking about a fish going blind because it's in a cave kind of thing. Right. right. We're talking about... Growing an extra appendage. Right. Growing um, wings. Right. Right. Exactly. Complex systems that require much more than an extra flap of skin or something like that. Right. Yeah. Anything that's a bigger change like that. A change like that, we generally call it a mutation. 
And it's pretty uniformly not for the benefit of a species. Right. It's something that is going to cause the creature who has the mutation to not do as well, to not thrive. Um, so that's a place that there's a whole, um, another place that there is an unexplained gap in the theory of evolution and old earth is um, in where life really came from. Mm -hmm. So yep. something that you may not be aware of, some of you have maybe heard this, I think Michael has referenced it before, but there really is such a hole in being able to explain the source of life on earth that prominent scientists. So yeah. Richard Dawkins. Yeah. Christopher Hitchens um, is like that Francis too. Crick, who was right. one of the people who mapped DNA. Right. They would, um, would posit that aliens seeded life right. on earth because there is not an explanation that we can come up with scientifically. Right. Tell me that's not a faith premise, right? Because right? these are the same guys, like, especially, you know, Dawkins, I think, gets a little bit more in trouble than the others, but like he would ridicule faith. You know, you're, you guys are ridiculous for believing things that don't have particular evidence. And mm -hmm. yet he, he throws up his hands and says, maybe it was aliens. Right. Yeah. Right. So just those are some things to think about. Um, and yet at the same time, if you would land where we would on looking at Genesis one as the literal days and the earth is younger, there are also holes in the science there. And those are maybe a little more obvious because so much of time modern, and money is invested right. on the other side. Yeah. Well, and that is what is taught. It's what's talked about. Um, but I do think that some of those dating methods are something that's tricky there. Um, you know, there are certainly other, other holes there that we don't have all the answers and, um, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I, I think that wraps up. I know we could keep going on and on, but uh, we'll run out a little bit of time. Uh, so thank you all for, uh, for joining us. And uh, let me pray for us. Uh, Lord God, thank you for the gift of creation. And I pray, please, that uh, you would help us to just be better observers, better thinkers. Lord, you give us truth, and that means that we have an advantage over the world. Um, but help us to approach this with humility and, um, and caution. And Lord, um, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for dropping your anchor with HarborCast. Please visit us on the web at harborchurch.org for more information about what we believe, what we do to serve our community, and how you can get involved in our mission here in Mooresville. And finally, follow HarborCast wherever you listen to podcasts. May the Lord continue to equip you to share the good news about Jesus.